We turn now to our New Testament reading, which is the scripture lesson for the sermon this morning. In John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59, this is the Lord's word as he gave to John the Apostle, brought to his remembrance as Jesus promised, all that Jesus said and did, and much besides. And so we have the very word of the living God here as we read John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59. So let's attend with reverence to the reading of the infallible, inspired, therefore the inherent word of God. Again, uh, John six fifty-two through 59. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me, will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That sends the reading of God's holy word for us at this time. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in the sight of the Lord. In the first part of John chapter 6, Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Maybe 15 or 20,000 people, we might estimate, were fed with what began as five loaves and two fish, two small fish. Soon after, in the city of Capernaum, after Jesus, by the way, had walked on water following uh, that event. Jesus is back in the area around Capernaum, and as we see by the end of this uh, passage, he's teaching these things in the synagogue in Capernaum. And so Jesus is there in, in that uh, city that was sort of the, the hub of his ministry in Galilee. The people desire, when he arrives there, that that Jesus would provide them bread always. And that prompted his teaching on what is the true bread from heaven. In John 6, 26 through 50, he calls himself several things, including the food which endures to everlasting life. And we might note that, that while the Greek of John 6 uses a different word there for the food which endures, uh, then the, in the rest of the passage where Jesus calls himself bread, it's very likely that in the Aramaic that Jesus first spoke, or was speaking at that time, I should say, uh, that that uh, was probably the same word in Aramaic and in Hebrew. The word for bread is also the word for generally for food. Nevertheless, uh, we do understand the Holy Spirit inspired this text in Greek, and so there may also be uh, some reason why uh, he chose one word as opposed to the other, but but we do see Jesus calls himself the food which endures to everlasting life. He also calls himself in that passage the true bread from heaven, the bread of God, the bread of life, 
the bread which came down or which comes down from heaven, the living bread. And he finished that passage right before where we picked up this morning with this statement in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And we noted before, as we considered that the last time we were observing the Lord's Supper, that uh, one of the problems in that context was that many of the people listening to Jesus were thinking in earthly terms. But Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms. And so they missed what he was actually trying to tell them. That problem becomes even more pronounced after Jesus tells them that the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. As we saw last time when Jesus said that, he was pointing to his atoning death. He's going to give his flesh, his body to be broken, his blood to be shed. He's going to die for the sins of his people. You must have Christ in you, as it were. You must be united to him. He must be your bread in that sense. You have to be united to him in his atoning death, his flesh being given as the bread which will endure to everlasting life. You have to be united to him in his atoning death or you cannot have eternal life. Romans 6, 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If you're going to have that resurrection, you have to be united to Christ in his death. But many who hear Christ say that the bread they must eat is his flesh are offended when he says this here in John 6. As we noted, many of the first hearers of this statement were thinking in earthly terms. They thought Jesus was talking perhaps somehow about cannibalism. Eating a man's actual flesh, drinking his blood as we go on in the passage we read today. Jesus explains in verse 63 that he's speaking, though, in spiritual terms. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, when when I'm talking, Jesus is saying, when I'm talking about feeding on my flesh and drinking my blood, I'm talking about something that the Holy Spirit does. Something that he provides to you. Not something you get with your physical bodies. So I'm not talking about cutting off pieces of my body and you eating it. I'm talking about something else in spiritual terms. Nevertheless, even to this day, there are many people who fully understand that Jesus is not speaking in a a simplistic, literal sense here, saying that you literally have to eat my body and drink my blood. But many such people are still offended. And we can see why the first century Jews might have been offended at that if they were thinking in earthly terms and they say, well, that's, number one, unclean under the law of Moses. It's something that's forbidden to all mankind, not just to Jews as well. It's, it's very wicked to eat the flesh of another human being, to drink his blood. Many people fully understand today 
that Jesus is not speaking, though, in those simplistic earthly terms, that he's speaking spiritually, he's speaking metaphorically, and they're still offended because they're offended at the exclusive claims of Christ that come in passages like this. They're offended at the notion that no one could have eternal life apart from Jesus unless you've internalized Jesus, unless you have a union with Jesus, you have no eternal life. And people are very offended at that notion. But in fact, that's exactly what Jesus teaches here in this passage. There's no getting around it. The main point of this passage is number one, or this is it, really. There's not number one. It is the main point. There is no eternal life apart from union with Christ Jesus. No possibility of eternal life apart from union with Christ Jesus. Under that point, we see two related ideas in this passage. Number one, those united to Christ possess eternal life. If you are united to Christ, you do possess eternal life. And number two, only Christ's atoning death makes that possible. So again, Jesus is teaching in Capernaum here. In fact, verse 59 tells us he he taught these things in the synagogue there. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That tells us where he is. He's probably taught these things uh, elsewhere as well, but this is all reiterated at the synagogue in Capernaum. And he's just said in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And that's what prompts where we picked up with our scripture lesson today. Many here to question, what's he talking about? Is he advocating cannibalism? How, how can he do that? Others are just confused. What could he possibly mean by that? Is he speaking metaphorically? And if so, what does that possibly mean? Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus then teaches that there is no eternal life apart from union with him and with him alone. And that's in verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And we should note that Jesus is not talking here, we already know he's not talking about cannibalism. We get more into that here, but we also see he's not talking about the Lord's Supper either. For one thing, he had not yet instituted that sacrament, so it would have been meaningless. And there are times when uh, John will tell us that maybe the apostles didn't understand something until later, or maybe they understood it there. Uh, He makes no, no comment about, and later we understood that he was really talking about the Lord's Supper or anything like that. No, there's no comment like that here. So for one thing, Jesus hadn't instituted the supper, so uh, these words would have made no sense if that's what he was talking about. His hearers couldn't have possibly gotten it. For another, if he were talking about communion, that would mean that everyone who ever partakes of the Lord's Supper would be automatically saved. Because he says, most assuredly I say to you that unless you eat the flesh the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That implies if you do eat the flesh and drink the blood, you do have life in you. And if he's talking about the Lord's Supper, then all you have to do is take the Lord's Supper once in your life and you're fine. 
But we know better than that from Scripture. Paul warns us that we can take communion and thereby eat and drink judgment to ourselves, not salvation. In 1 Corinthians 11.27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So Jesus cannot be talking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here. Rather, he's talking about the spiritual things to which that sacrament that he'll later establish point as well. The sacrament is a sign and seal of the very things that Jesus is talking about here in this passage. He's talking about the spiritual things to which the sacrament will point. So so what does Jesus mean then, precisely? What spiritual things is he talking about here? In verse 56, he explains, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. To eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood means to abide in him and to have him abide in you. So he's talking about union, a spiritual union between the believer and between himself. Apart from such a union, Jesus says, you have no life in you. That is to say, you will perish eternally, knowing only the wrath of God and having no other relationship with your Creator than to know Him as a judge. You're like the criminal sentenced by the judge. Apart from union with Christ, there is no eternal life. There's no other religion, no other philosophy of man, no system of good works, no other teacher, no one and nothing can gain you eternal life for, or save you uh, from God's wrath coming upon sin other than Jesus. And that's it. That's why so many people are offended at Jesus' claim here. The thought that you have to only go through Him is so offensive to so many. Most assuredly I say to you, Jesus says, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. There is no eternal life apart from union with Christ Jesus. Now under that point, we find two related sub-points in this passage. Number one, those united to Christ do possess eternal life. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh. So it's not just some of them that do this, but everybody. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So as we've seen, to consume Christ's flesh and and blood means to have this spiritual union with him. And this is a union we know is by faith. Remember verse 40, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So, By faith, we're united to Christ, and he will raise us up at the last day. So even if you die before Christ returns, you will have eternal life. Your death is only temporary. It's a temporary state, which is why so consistently, by the way, in the New Testament, we find the expression fallen asleep to describe believers who have died. Because as as surely as you can reasonably expect when you go to sleep that you'll get up again, If you die before Jesus returns, you will get up again. So those who have faith in Jesus, those who trust in his atoning death, as we'll see 
again shortly, are united to him. And therefore, because they're united to him, they possess eternal life. He will raise you up at the last day. Look at verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna. We read about the manna from Exodus a little bit earlier. And are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. That's the true bread from heaven. As Jesus taught previously, the manna which God gave Israel in the wilderness was not the true bread from heaven. The Israelites of that generation ate the manna, and they still died like all mortal men. But consuming Christ, as it were, abiding in Him and He in you, that yields actual everlasting life. You will be raised up on the last day to live forever. Those united to Christ possess eternal life. Number two, only Christ's atoning death makes this possible. Verse 55, for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. That's to say, my flesh truly is food and my blood truly is drink. That food that I was talking about that endures to everlasting life, that's what I'm talking about here, Jesus says. Compare that to the last part of verse 51. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Jesus gave his life that his people might live. Apart from his dying for your sins, you have no possibility of everlasting life in glory. God would not be just if he did that, if he granted everlasting life to people whose sins had not been paid for. All you would know is the endless torment of God's judgment for your sins. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, in his atoning death, the penalty for your sins is paid in full. And there's nothing that will keep you apart from him. So Jesus says in verse 57, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Christ's atoning death makes it possible that you can be united to him and thus receive eternal life. Now, a few applications follow from these teachings that we've seen in this passage. Number one, believe in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. There is no other way. There's no eternal life apart from union with him, and it's a union that you have by faith. Secondly, If you do believe in him, be assured that you do possess eternal life. There is nothing for you to fear. For those united to Christ possess eternal life. And then third, cling to Jesus in his atoning death. Only his atoning death makes your everlasting life possible. Plead for forgiveness for your sins in his name knowing that he has paid their penalty. For his sake, God will forgive you. That's why John tells us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. If our sins weren't paid for, God wouldn't be just to forgive our sins. But because our sins are paid for in Jesus, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Plead for forgiveness of your sins in Christ's name, and for his sake, God will forgive you. And meditate on his atoning death. 
especially as you partake of the Lord's Supper, as we will this morning. For the Lord's Supper points to that very thing to which these words of Jesus in this passage point, that he gave his life for the sins of his people. Well, let's pray. Lord our God, we trust in Jesus' atoning death. We pray that you would build up that faith, especially by this sacrament, that by your word and by this other means of grace, the sacrament of communion, we may be made more like Jesus Christ. For we do pray in his blessed name. Amen.